0: Hi everyone. Welcome back to the Holy Spirit series and today in this third study we're going to look at how to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, As we said previously you know when you're born again you receive the Holy Spirit. God comes and and the birth of the life of God is in you and the spirit of adoption is given to you. But what we're talking about is the Acts 2 experience, which is right throughout the book of Acts, which is more than just simply being born again. It's a filling of the Spirit. There, some call it baptism of the Spirit. Some call it sealing of the Spirit. Billy Graham said, I don't care what you call it, just get it. I think that's the main point. And the sad thing is that the enemy has used controversy around the Holy Spirit. And we said the last time that the Holy Spirit is a necessity in our lives. Jesus taught us that. Paul said that it was a deficiency in these 12 disciples in Acts 19 that was blatantly obvious. Something is missing when we don't have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and yet the enemy has us all tied in theological and doctrinal knots about controversy and terminology and so on. I think we need to... Well, I'm trying to stay clear of that at the moment. It's not always possible completely. But the point of the matter is this. You could be over a dying patient. Imagine in a surgery or something like that there's two surgeons over a patient and they're both arguing over terminology of medicines when really what needs to happen is the medicine needs to be applied whatever the label is and the patient needs life and the church needs life individual christians need the power of the holy spirit to live the christian life listen to me carefully the christian life is a supernatural life and it is utterly impossible to live it in the flesh it has to be lived in the spirit it's an impossible life without the dynamic of the life of God himself it's actually his life in us the life of Christ so we're answering the question how do we receive this fullness but before we ask answer that question we need to ask another question And that is, why have some not received the Holy Spirit in his fullness? Let me give you at least three reasons. And these are not addressing doctrinal issues as such specifically. We might look at some of those later on uh, and try to answer them. But three general areas which cover most things, I think, um, scripturally, that that prevent the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The first is we can resist the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, Stephen in his... um, sermon he preached before he was martyred was basically giving the jews a history lesson with the application that they constantly were resisting rebelling against god and actually it says in acts seven fifty one, you always resist the holy Fa- the holy spirit even as your fathers did and so it's possible therefore to resist the holy spirit through stubbornness hardness and to be unyielded, unbroken and to have self on the throne and so it's very important that an element of surrender comes in and um, there's a danger that we, we, we make people think they need to become completely holy before the Holy Spirit comes. If that was the case, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit, you could do it all yourself. But there has to be that initial surrender to God where you allow him to come and effectively, as someone once said, take the key to every room in your life and go in anywhere and be Lord of all. I remember asking a, a South African preacher years ago by the name of Rex Matthew what he believed about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he said he believed it was the flip side of the coin to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so when you can say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of every area of my life, doesn't mean you're filled with the Spirit, but it means you're on the way to, to emptying the vessel, as it were, in order that the Lord may come in. So let's not resist the Holy Spirit in any area of our lives. Make sure that self is not on the throne of our hearts, but Jesus is. And the second obstacle is quenching, uh, sorry, uh, grieving the Holy Spirit. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And it infers there the Holy Spirit, as God, has emotions and we can make him upset. Now, I don't want you to think of him as some kind of a weakling. Um, uh, he is a very, <laughs> he's God. He's strong. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He can be frightening at times, as we see in the Holy Scripture. But he responds to our intent and our desire. And he's not needy, but he, he wants to be wanted, as God does. He doesn't want to force himself on anyone. And so we can grieve him primarily through sin. So you need to ask the question, is there, are there sins that I need to repent of in my life? Are there sins that are quenching the Holy Spirit and preventing his fullness and full orbed influence in my life? And then the third is, is we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can resist, grieve and quench the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians five nineteen says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. And uh, literally it means don't put out the fire of the Spirit and we can quench the Spirit through unbelief. It's staggering, isn't it? that Jesus, it says, uh, could do no mighty work, no miracle in his own home vicinity because of their unbelief, because their lack of faith. He only could put hands on a few sick folk and they were made well. Uh, That would be enough, wouldn't it, for us? But he he couldn't do a miracle, which is a, a superior thing just to just healing. This is a work of power. He couldn't do that there. Now we can enter into the discussions of it. Is that he chose not to do it or could he not do it? Well it just says he couldn't do it because God responds to belief. He even says in the Old Testament that the Israelites limited the Holy One of Israel again because of their unbelief. And if there's a lack of belief in the church in general that's going to affect the influence of the Holy Spirit. But think about it. If there's actually a negative uh attitude towards the holy spirit his person his work his gifts his ministry in the church of the 21st century if there is theology that is restrictive um it will quench the the influence of the holy spirit Um, and i think that's a serious problem it certainly wasn't my life because i used to teach uh, against the gifts of the spirit in particular uh, in the church today and um Therefore, there's no doubt about it that that will have an effect of quenching, putting out the fire, um, starving oxygen of the flame of the Holy Spirit. And that is what we are commanded not to do. It was David Pawson who says, I have been amazed by a kind of schizophrenic attitude to the supernatural among some evangelicals who are entirely credulous towards anything bound between black leather uh, and profoundly sceptical about anything like that happening today. In other words, we believe, well, dare anyone deny that a, a great fish swallowed Jonah or that Noah actually was in a literal ark or there was a literal six-day creation. We we won't allow people to, to liberalize and airbrush the, the Bible of these miraculous stories, but what about today? Some of us will even believe in what's going to happen, the false prophet will do, and the antichrist will do, and the two prophets sent from God will do in the future. And we believe in the supernatural in these bookends of of biblical history. But what about now, here in my life, here in our church? There's a quenching of the spirit. And Leonard Ravenhill once said, "We've been warned of false fire by fireless men for so long that then we too often settle for no fire." at all but the express explicit command of scriptures do not put out the fire of the spirit do not quench the spirit don't despise prophecies and do not forbid to speak with tongues that's scripture (laughs) and so i need to ask is one of the reasons um why i'm not experiencing this fullness because i've been inoculated against the holy spirit through bad teaching or bad experience through fear um have i resisted him in my life have i quenched him and grieved him But let's quickly look at how to receive the Holy Spirit. You must repent of those things and deal with them in your heart before God. But then if you're at that point of saying, right, I am desiring, I'm wanting earnestly to be filled with everything that God has for you through the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened if his son asks for bread from any father among you will he give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he give him a serpent instead of a fish or if he asks for an egg will will, will, will he offer him a scorpion if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven your heavenly father give the holy spirit to them that ask now this is a, an amazing passage, especially for those who are afraid or have been made afraid of the person and work of the Spirit. Because what Jesus is saying here is that if you're a father and your child comes and asks for bread, would you give him a rock to break its teeth on? Uh, if your child is hungry and he wants a fish, would you give him a scorpion to sting and kill him? No. And you're not perfect like I'm perfect, Jesus and the Father is saying, I, and yet you know how to give good things to your children, how more, more do you think I, as the good, perfect Heavenly Father, will give you the Holy Spirit when you come and ask for him? Well, there's a, a, a text to claim in receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's interesting, we often apply ask, seek, and knock to prayer in general, and that can be, of course, the case, and other Gospels um, uh, do that. But here, specifically in the context of Luke 11 it's to do with asking for the spirit and when we come to look at the gifts of the spirit it says we're to pursue the, the, the gifts of the spirit earnestly we're to desire them fervently we're to go after them as if our life depended on it and so this has got to be our posture when we're coming we've got to ask the lord in faith that's the key here right so if someone comes to you and says how do I become a christian you, you i hope you would explain that it. it's by faith and what jesus said and what jesus did So he died for our sins, rose again, and it's through believing in the sufficiency of his work on the cross that it's enough to take away our sins and that he said that if we called upon him that we would be saved. If you believe that, you are justified. You become a Christian. You're born again. It's the same way we receive everything in the Christian life. Okay. And sometimes when it comes to the things of the Spirit, we're waiting around for an experience and the Holy Spirit gives experiences. But it's not an experience that actually we're looking for. It is the the substance of his power and his life in us, and that comes by faith. Experiences may come, um, and they may differ, and usually do among people. But it's the faith that counts. It's a grace gift. God's hand giving us this gift. It comes from Him. He wants us to have it more than we want to have this. But it is faith which is our hand receiving that gift so we've actually got to believe. And it's repentant faith because all faith is really we turn from our own ways and our sin and we turn to God. So we're turning away from those things that have resisted, grieved and quenched the spirit. And we're turning to him and saying I can't even live this Christian life with the... The righteousness that I try to drum up in my own efforts. I need you, Lord. I'm desperate. I'm empty. I'm, I'm finished. But I'm hungry and desiring you. Would you come and fill me? But, but it's more than that. It's asking as, as uh, verse 13. of you being able know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more should you have any thought? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. It's asking, but it's asking in faith. Asking in faith. And that's different. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 says, um, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. So if we know that what we're asking, this is our confidence, this is our assurance. If we're asking according to his will. So he says we're to have the Holy Spirit. So that's according to his will. If it's according to his will, we know he hears us. So he's heard us. And then if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him, so we know we have it. It doesn't say we know it's coming. It says we know we have it. If we're asking according to his will, and we we, we do it, we know we've got it. Because that's the confidence that we have in him, as his character and his word. If he said it, we can believe it, and that should settle it. And Jesus said a similar thing Uh, in Mark 11, where he said in in verse um, 24, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us initially because we usually believe we have something when we have it, when it's in our hands or possession. But Jesus is is saying Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So it's when you ask by faith, he says you receive and then you have them. So it's faith that possesses it even before it's in real terms in your possession. That sounds like a contradiction, but not according to this verse. It's faith sense, even if it's not common sense. And what in respect of the Spirit this means is that if we come to God asking, Fill me with the Holy Spirit, we've got to believe that as He as we pray, because it's according to His will, He now hears us and actually by faith we have what we've asked of Him, because it's God's will. Now a lot of us don't do that. And some of us who have grown up in Christian homes can actually remember as children asking Jesus Christ to be our Saviour nearly every day of the week. Because we weren't sure that we did it right. We weren't sure that He heard us and very much our emotions were controlling us. Oh, I want to make sure that I'm okay. A childish emotion. But for me, certainly, there came a moment where I had to actually say, right, I ain't going to believe God or I'm not, that he hears me and and he's going to do what I ask him in faith because it's according to his will. And he said, call upon me and I will answer you. Um, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so... Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And I decided I'm gonna to have to choose to believe. And that's what we call the committal of faith. Where well, you're actually committing it to God. And so often in the realm of the Spirit, we are relying on our feelings instead of faith on in the facts. Now don't misunderstand me, feelings are important. God created them, and I believe the Spirit will give you very good and sometimes not so good feelings um, in order to bring us in the right direction. But the important thing is to get things in the right order and just like the navigator's diagram shows us, uh, if you're familiar with that, there's a steam engine, uh, a railway engine and then there's two carts, two uh, carriages behind it and the railway engine has written on it facts, the biblical facts and then the the first carriage is faith, you put your faith in the facts and then the next carriage is labelled feelings and the idea is that you're faith needs to be in the facts but so many people's faith is in the feelings feelings is driving the 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 engine and it can't and the danger is we are looking for a feeling now the holy spirit often comes and you have feelings i'm not saying that that's not the case and you should eventually get feelings you look at the fruit of the spirit and many of them correspond to feelings they're not feelings entirely but some of them correspond to feelings like joy and, and peace and so on but the first thing is faith and faith alone, so that whether feelings come or feelings go, as we said, Martin Luther put it, feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Not, nothing else is worth believing. Uh, feelings is like a compass. It, it directs us in a certain way, but it, it is regulated by an overriding principle, magnetism. And so we've got to get the print, overriding principle of faith Linked into the the truth, and then the feelings come, and the experience will come thereafter. Um, a great evangelist here in, in Northern Ireland was um, a man called W. P. Nicholson. He he went privately to an expert for medical treatment, and they put electrodes all over his body. And the doctor went and read a paper and drank a cup of coffee. And Nicholson started to get a little bit irate because he thought the doctor was doing nothing. And he burst out and he said, I'm a busy man, doctor. I haven't come here to watch you reading your paper. When are you going to start my treatment? And the doctor said, Mr. Nicholson, there's enough electricity running through your body to push a train up a hill right now. And Nicholson says, well, something's wrong because I don't feel a thing. And the doctor took a little adapter which he had attached to a light bulb and he connected it and it actually lit up because of the electricity that was going through Nicholson's body. And at that point, W. P. Nicholson realized that the Holy Spirit might be flowing through you and you not realize it until a need arises. And I want you to be encouraged today to look in faith to the facts. Feelings will come, and there is a subjective element. To the witness of the Holy Spirit. I'm not t- taking that away from scripture. It's there in the book of Acts. But what I am saying is we need to understand. It's faith in the promise of God first and foremost. All who believed received. They did have a witness. But it was the believing that really counted. There should be a witness that the comforter has come. But faith is what counts. Um, as a young man Oswald Chambers. Who you will know of from my, my utmost for his highest the devotional work. He battled the persistent sense of barrenness in his Christian life and he finally wrote, um, I'm quoting him, I I am getting desperate. I knew no one who who had what I wanted. In fact, I did not know what I did want. But I knew that if what I had was all Christianity there was, the thing was a fraud. Wow, he recognized something was missing. I I knew that if this was all the Christianity there was, that thing was a fraud. Then Luke 11, 13 got hold of me. At a little meeting in Dunoon, a well-known lady was asked to, to take the after meeting and she did not speak, but sat to prayer and then sang, touch me again, Lord. I felt nothing, but I knew emphatically that my time had come. I rose to my feet, and then and there I claimed the gift of the Holy Spirit in dogged committal upon Luke eleven thirteen. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. I had no vision of heaven or of angels. I had nothing. I was as dry and empty as ever. No power or realization of God. No witness of the Holy Spirit. Then I was asked to speak at a meeting, and 40 souls came out to the front for salvation. I came to realize that God intended me, having asked, to simply take it by faith. And that the power would be there. I might see it only by the backward look. But I was to reckon on the fact that God would be with me. Now that's very important. Because it might be in retrospect that you will recognize the Comforter has come. There should be witnesses. There should be evidence. There should be signs of the Holy Spirit in your life. Yes, there will be. There ought to be. You will know it. Eventually. But the important thing is many of us are looking to feelings or experiences rather than Faith in what God has promised, take him at his word. Why not do that now? Get rid of those obstacles that are resisting, grieving and quenching the spirit. And why don't you reach out now by faith and pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I repent of resisting you, quenching you and grieving you in the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with your life and your power. And I thank you, Father, that Jesus died, rose again, and ascended to heaven, that I might be filled with your life through the Holy Spirit. And now, Father, I come in Jesus' name, and I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. But here's, here's the, that's all important, but here's a very important aspect. Lord, as I have now asked according to your will, I know that you hear me, and I know I've received the requests that I've made of you, and I'm going to choose to believe now that you've heard me, that you have filled me, and I am now immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to walk out expecting to see signs of that now. And I want you to show me that now in Jesus' name. I thank you for filling me. Amen. Why not communicate with us and let us know how God has met you through these videos and uh, what he's doing in your life perhaps Um, but God bless you and may you walk in the fullness of his spirit this day and every day of your life. Amen.